If you're able to remain standing for a moment longer, I invite you to. If otherwise, feel free to have a seat. I'll be reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the second chapter, verses 41 through 52. Now, every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, our theme for this week, uh, this Advent Christmas uh, series, is search. Uh, as I was thinking about families, uh, I found something that uh, uh, was kind of interesting, and this being a fifth Sunday, a little bit of a different worship experience, I printed this off from Laugh. This comes from Laugh and Lift. Uh, it's a story about families and about the ways parents learn from the firstborns, uh, about how they're going to handle additional children to the family. So I know it kind of deals a little bit with women. Women, we're not bashing on you, but it just, just bear with us here. See if you can identify with any of these differences. Uh, it says, for example, if you are a mom, your clothes change. This is between births of children. With the first baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your gynecologist confirms your pregnancy. With the second baby, you wear your regular clothes for as long as possible. With your third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. And your attitude toward germs change. With the first baby, if the pacifier falls on the floor, you put it away until you can go home and wash and boil it. With the second baby, when the pacifier falls on the floor, you squirt it off with some juice from the baby's bottle. With the third baby, you wipe it off on your shirt and pop it back in. And your attitude toward going out changes. With the first baby, the first time you leave your baby with a sitter, you call home five times. With the second baby, just before you walk out the door, you remember to leave a number where you can be reached. With the third baby, you leave instructions for the sitter to call only if she sees blood. <laughs> and your attitude toward being with the baby changes. With the first baby, you spend a good bit of every day just gazing at the baby. With the second baby, you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking, or hitting the baby. With the third baby, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from the children. <laughs> Even your attitude towards swallowing coins changes. When the first child swallows a coin, you rush the child to the hospital and demand x-rays. 
When a second child swallows a coin, you carefully watch for the coin to pass. When a third child swallows a coin, you deduct it from his allowance. Aren't families wonderful? We probably all can relate to some of those experiences. You know, even Jesus, this baby Jesus, and now as we hear in Luke's gospel, the boy Jesus, the 12-year-old boy Jesus, faced challenges. I want to talk about uh, uh, this story in three kind of movements. The first uh, movement is Jesus, uh, young Jesus. Jesus as a young person growing up. As a matter of fact, this in Luke's gospel is the first time we hear Jesus speak in this text that I read to you today. In the other three gospels, Jesus' first words are quite a bit different. In the gospel according to Mark, the first time Mark gives an accounting of what Jesus says, Jesus is warning the people that the kingdom of God has come near, the time is being fulfilled, and the people need to repent and believe in God. Kind of a bit of difference from the 12-year-old's first words. In Matthew's gospel, we hear Jesus responding to John the Baptist who's questioning who should baptize who. And in the gospel according to John, Jesus' first words are, are this kind of exchange between a couple of followers of John the Baptist about whether Jesus is indeed the Messiah. So the gospel writers portray Jesus in his first words to the world in very different ways. The other text that we normally would have read today, the Old Testament text, uh, but this being a fifth Sunday where we've added more singing, uh, was dealing with young Samuel. Uh, and young Samuel, much like young Jesus, the parents encounter uh, uh, have an encounter in the temple. Now for Elkanah and Hannah, young Samuel's uh, parents, they have this understanding with God that, that Samuel is just lent to God for a time. So still realizing their parents, but when we hear Jesus and his role, at least as he's responding to his mother, who is alarmed uh, that he's been gone from their presence for three or four days, her understanding of Jesus' Father and Jesus' own understanding of who His Father is are different. And I believe they begin to see a change uh, in Jesus and their relationship with Jesus. Not that that's a bad thing. So Jesus uh, says in response to His mother and her concern, her anxiety, didn't you know I needed to be in my Father's house? And in this revelation, this reminder, remember, we're told Jesus is now 12 years old. He's had 12 years of life under the direction, under the guidance, under the wings of Mary and Joseph. And now he is beginning to point to this growing understanding he has, and he is inviting them into a growing understanding. And so what's at stake is for the earthly parents... Mary and Joseph, who's been raising him as his own, to acknowledge this special call on Jesus' life. Remember, depending on which gospel you read, the angel Gabriel come to, came to both Mary and Joseph and explained the significance that Jesus would make to the world. And so, as Jesus in this setting in the temple reminds them, didn't you know I needed to be in my Father's house? I believe there is this need for them to begin to acknowledge this call upon Jesus' life. 
that they also need to understand they need to free him, free him to be uh, uh, this savior of the world without alienation, in other words, not cutting him off, but continuing to nurture him, for that relationship is crucial, as most of our relationships are crucial. And then to make room in their own lives, as they need to in Jesus' life, for God's sovereignty. Friends, that one's a tough one. It wasn't just tough, I think, on Mary and Joseph, even though we're going to talk in a moment about their, their devout faith. It's important for us. We struggle regularly with what is sovereign in our lives. And so often, as I wander about, not just in the church, but in the community, as I look in the world, oftentimes people have this kind of fuzzy thinking, and they put things first in front of God's sovereignty. Often, for us Americans, it's our American rights. It's our feeling of needing to be independent, of not having that taken away or stripped away from us by anybody, much less a government, but even our friends. And so we struggle with this notion that God wants to be sovereign, not just in the world that we talk about, but in our lives. So there's young Jesus in the temple. Let's talk about these model parents, Mary and Joseph. Let's talk about model parents, but let's also allow ourselves to not just talk about mother-father kinds of actions, but about relationships. So whether, whether you are in the midst of parenting right now, or have parented, or have this hope or desire that someday you will parent, we all have opportunities for relationships. And so I think this has quite a bit of, of leeway for us. So again, I invite you, if you don't want to think of model parents, think of model relationships. This story that I read to you is set during the Passover. Luke, the gospel writer, is very he's emphatic. He wants us to know that Mary and Joseph, every year, as often as they could, because of their faith, because of their uh, commitment to raising not just children in the faith, but their own faith lives, they celebrate, they regularly pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. It's an important thing for them to do. And it's an important role model that they fulfill in the life of their children. So we need to be aware uh, that these are parents modeling faith. And again, if you don't want to think in terms of parents, think about the relationships. Where are you modeling your faith in relationships? Sometimes our children are grown and that's water under the bridge. But maybe we can be a part of role modeling for other children in our church or in our community. So think again that yes, these are model parents, devout in their faith. The Passover is important. But also think about the commitment they made. to These folks, these uh, humans, Mary and Joseph, are obedient to God. Yes, they're having this little bit of a struggle with baby Jesus, or excuse me, young Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus. It's been 12 years, maybe, since the angel Gabriel visited them. And so they need this reminder. I'm impressed that Jesus doesn't lash out. He doesn't use snide remarks. Luke doesn't say anything about rolling his eyes like we do sometimes when parents say something to us. He is uh, very calm in his reminder. He is showing respect to his mother, but reminding them that he is growing in his own understanding. It's not just being handed to him. He is connecting deeper and deeper with God. So here we have this very pious family who practice their faith. Now, 
Luke doesn't say that, that Je- this is where we kind of get this story kind of confused. We often think that, that Jesus is in the temple teaching these, these elders, these uh, very uh, 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 knowledgeable theologians in the temple. What Jesus is doing, as the scripture says, is he's listening and he's asking questions. They're impressed with his awareness. They're impressed with these very persuasive questions he's beginning to ask. He is not teaching them knowledge per se, but what they are teaching them is that we have in our midst an ideal student. So you teachers can remember those times, whether it's a a classroom in, uh, in grade school, middle school, high school, Sunday school, when you have somebody who is in touch and asking those very good questions, you, you think to yourself, this student is in touch. They're ideal. Maybe it's worth giving them a little more. Maybe that's how this young Jesus was able to come back for three additional days to the temple and engage with these very learned folks in the, in the temple, these theologians, in, in questions about Torah and in questions of theology. They had to have been impressed with this young Jesus. So I think uh, it's it's good that we are given this snapshot uh, because we have the concern of the parents, but we also have this gentle response from Jesus to acknowledge that you've been a part of this. You know, in Jewish upbringing, Joseph, the male of the household, it was his responsibility to see that the children are educated. And if Jesus is as learned as he is, he just wasn't given that because he's the Son of God. Joseph had to regularly teach him. He had to be a part of regular teaching of the things of the Jewish faith. The Shema and all the other things that go along with increasing the young people's knowledge and their faith as they knew it. And so let's give Joseph some credit. I also like to give Mary some credit, probably much like Susanna Wesley, who regularly spent time in her kitchen with each of her children, praying for them and teaching them. It it, it was a a family affair, if you will. Again, if you don't want to think in terms of parents, think about relationships. Where are your relationships? Do you have relationships in the church? Are you being taught? Are you willing to listen? Are you putting yourself in a place to ask these questions so that your knowledge and hence maybe your faith can increase. These, my friends, are good parents. They are sensitive, and I think now after this encounter with Jesus, even more sensitive to the child's needs. You know, Jane Goodall, some of you might recognize that name, the famous anthropologist. Uh, She spent 30 years, approximately 30 years of her life uh, studying apes. As a matter of fact, she's one of the most renowned uh, uh, anthropologists on the lives of chimpanzees. But Jane Goodall credits much of her success to her mother. She says her parents, but she tells stories more about her mother. And she said as a two-year-old, Jane Goodall said she took a bunch of earthworms to bed with her one night. Now, let's kind of set the story a little bit more. Jane Goodall came from a very prominent English family. As a matter of fact, her correct title is Baroness Jane Goodall. So you can imagine in this, this English family a two-year-old bringing earthworms to bed, and, and what would most of us do? Get those nasty things, throw them out the window. Jane Goodall said, my mother knew what was best for me. She set an example, and she told Jane that night, she said, Jane, these earthworms need earth to live, and if you leave them in your bed, they'll die. 
And Jane said, that's all it took for me to take those earthworms outside. Mother didn't have to be heavy-handed with me. She didn't have to, to make me feel like I didn't know anything. She, she came to me from my point of view. Parents, don't you realize when we get on our child's, not on their level, but in their, their context, and when we can talk to them as if we're understanding, sympathetic, sensitive to that, the difference we can make than just saying, I told you, and, and because I told you, therefore you need to do this, you see, we begin to see the difference. And I think that's true in our relationships with other people. We try to, to share our faith, but we want to come across as people who know it all. Or on the other end of the spectrum, we feel like we don't know anything and we don't engage in relationships of faith with other people so that they can be invited in to a life. So let's think about this, this model that Jesus is receiving and seeing in, in Mary and Joseph. Let's be sensitive to other people's needs and invite them into a relationship with Christ instead of telling them how we can fix them or where they've got it wrong or how we know more than they know. John Wesley, in his explanatory notes on the New Testament, and I think it's 2.52 is the note, he talks about this scene of Jesus in the temple. And, he, and, and, and Wesley says, look, Jesus we know is without sin. Jesus is as pure as pure can be. And yet, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is listening. He's learning. He's growing. The Son of God. Learning and growing. If, if the Son of God acknowledges the need to learn, to grow, and Wesley says in that explanatory note, increasing in holiness, the Son of God can increase in holiness and grow in favor with the Father? Well, yes. Why do we excuse ourselves... From, from placing ourselves in a, in a place to know and grow. Why would we do that to ourselves? Why would we shortcome our faith life and our relationship with God and the favor that God has for us by removing ourselves? I think sometimes we, we, we think about education in negative ways. And, and, and when we don't see ourselves as potential students, I think we're, we're missing the mark Martin Luther, the great reformer of the church 400 years ago, you know what one of the things he called upon as, as the Reformation was uh, unfolding? He said, you know, governments compel men to pick up spears and rifles to, for, for protection, right? Martin Luther says governments ought to compel young people to be educated and then educate them. So this great reformer Martin Luther was linking faith and knowledge together and I think that's a very good thing for us. Look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus has been brought up in a life of faith and what is He doing? He's learning from some of the most uh, knowledgeable people of His time about who God is and who God is inviting each and every person to. And as the Scripture says in verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom... He didn't already have it. He increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Friends, we're never done with this. Jesus at age of 12 is showing us we always have room if we'll only allow ourselves. So don't be afraid of an inquiring mind if you have one. Put it to use. Find ways to learn and to grow. Grow closer to God and closer to others who are on this journey. I heard one person say this week something about foggy thinking. Do you know anybody that has foggy thinking? 
especially in terms of faith. You know, people who will say, well, the Bible says this, and they haven't picked up a Bible in two years. Or God wants this. They have no clue, really, when you, when you come down to it. But we have people that want to tell us they are people of faith and don't give any time. They haven't allowed God to be sovereign in their lives. Foggy thinking is not very helpful for our faith life. We get too busy sometimes to listen. There was a story of a, of a, a, a plaintiff, and the plaintiff was suing the defendant, and the plaintiff in, in court had hired a lawyer. And he came up to the lawyer during a recess, and he said, I want a second lawyer. <laughs> and the plaintiff's lawyer said, why? He says, I think we're making our case really well. I don't see how we're going to lose this thing. Why would you want a second lawyer? And he says, well, look at the defense. They have two lawyers over there. And when one of them is talking, the other one is sitting there thinking. They're listening to what's being said and they're thinking. You see, sometimes we get so busy, we fail to be good students. We don't listen. We think somehow knowledge will be absorbed into our busy lives. We, we think that simply by coming to uh, the Sunday morning ritual worship experience will will increase, and yes, hopefully we do, but what else are we doing? Are we reading our Bibles at home? Are we praying at home? Are we meditating at home? Or are we just taking advantage of God's grace, knowing that God is a loving, forgiving God? These parents of Jesus, Mary and, the, and Joseph, the, the one who was raising Jesus as a son, his own, they searched for Jesus. Took them four days to find him. But Jesus was searching also. He was searching for greater meaning, greater understanding. And he didn't let his faith be interrupted by the chance to increase in knowledge. Let's link these together. And as God is emerging into our lives, we say during the Christmas season, bursting into the world, as, as God may be bursting into your life, put yourself in places and around people where you can grow, where you can listen, but where you can also, in relative safety and peace, ask these kinds of questions that even the young Jesus was asking the learned, so that your relationship with God can increase in divine favor and also in human favor, because your life will be changed as you grow in faith. We're coming to the Lord's table in just a moment. An another reminder of how God is at work in the world and promises to be at work in our lives and in the future. Putting this all in the order that God wants and, and we're invited to be a part of this search for greater meaning, greater understanding. And I hope as you receive what God has for you this day that you can continue to praise God. Praise God in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>